Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy Podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. Hello everyone, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to the ianabernethy.com podcast. Uh, this month's podcast is called uh, The Masters Speak and we're looking at some of my favourite uh, quotations from the uh, the past masters and uh, ones that I think are quite revealing that show that what we often regard as traditional today isn't that traditional at all. Um, so anyway, I hope you find that interesting. As usual, just a few quick bits of news. Uh, the first one is I've had the files for all my books um, done for Kindle. Um, I wasn't keen on Kindle myself until I got one and then was quite impressed with it. So I, that won't be too much longer. They're, all the files are done. I just need to get it all set up and up online. So I'll obviously let you know. And for those that like Kindle, um, you can get the books there. Or for those that maybe live overseas and... Uh, just makes it a little bit bit easier to get them as well. So that, that's going to be done soon. Uh, in other news, the World Combat Association continues to go really, really well. Uh, we've had quite a few uh, syllabuses approved now, um, which is really good. So that people, once the syllabus is approved, they can issue. And it's not, you know, as I told before, it's not going into the detail of what you teach. It's broad brush stuff. Um, the kind of elements that we feel a kind of pragmatic syllabus should include and it's stuff that I'm sure you'll agree with anyway but we had quite a few of those done and that way when people give grades the WCA, uh, WCA recognised uh, grades so um, so again thanks once uh, you know everyone's joined on that as well so thanks once again to everyone for their interest in it uh, we will be doing exclusive WCA podcasts as well um, very shortly I've almost finished sorting one of those um, those out uh, I might give one or two out generally, but the rest of them will just be kind of for members, you know, so you get an idea of the kind of thing we'll be discussing in those. The final thing I just want to mention in this uh, part of the podcast is I just want to give out a thanks, really. The uh, podcast's obviously been going for over five years now. Uh, I spend a lot of time putting these uh, things together, you know, lots of you know, articles and looking after the website, free podcasts, free videos, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm very grateful to you all for listening to them. Very grateful for those who spread the word on them. Um, particularly grateful for those who continue to kind of buy the books, the DVDs, um, to pop along to the seminars and things. Because obviously the finances, the cash, it's free for you to listen to this, obviously. But it's not free to produce. So those people who do those things are kind of financing all this kind of stuff for, for everybody else. But it just kind of, I was looking at the figures again, you know, for how many people look at the podcast and visit the site. And I'm, again, really taken away by everybody's support. So I just want to conclude this little introduction by saying, you know, thanks to everyone in whichever way you're supporting. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, um, thank you. And, you know, please continue to, to do all the good things that you do and obviously help me to um, continue to provide this this kind of stuff to you. So hopefully you feel it's worth it. Uh, right, so we'll uh, now start the main part of the podcast, which is, as we discussed earlier, uh, the Masters Speak, looking at some of my favourite quotations from the writings of the uh, past Masters. Okay, so we're going to look at some of my favourite quotations from the old Masters. Uh, these are ones that I feel are very useful in mapping out the gulf between modern traditional karate and traditional traditional karate if you'll allow me to use those terms um again just to be clear you know i'm not of, of the view that when the old masters have spoken then that's it all discussions over 
you know, but these are knowledgeable guys. These are guys who really shaped our art, so I do think we have to listen to them. We can disagree with them. Um, they could say things, and we, I think it's quite within our right to say, well, yep, yeah, we've heard, but we don't agree. But we've got to remember that they, a lot of these were at the time, they bridged, their practice bridged the time when karate went from what it is to what, uh, from what it was, sorry, to what it is. So I hope you'll find some of these uh, interesting. I did think about grouping them together in various, like, orders, because some of them addressed common themes. But I decided against that, because I didn't want it to be uh, lots of mini-podcasts within the podcasts, if you know what I mean, where we discuss various issues. So these are just in the order that I kind of wrote them down, really. So we'll start with this first one, then, from uh, from Gichin Funakoshi. And he says, uh, it says, Once a kata has been learnt... It must be practiced repeatedly until it can be applied in an emergency. For knowledge of just a sequence of a kata in karate is useless. So for me, that last line's important there as well. It goes, for knowledge of just a sequence of kata in karate is useless. So again, that contradicts with a lot of practice today. So here's Funakoshi saying, it's not enough that you can do it. It's not enough that you remember where the moves are. You must be able to apply it in, in um, an emergency. It says, otherwise it's useless. It's pointless. So, and again, if we're honest, the vast majority of people when they practice kata today, although, you know, the tide is turning, but most do practice kata for its, its own sake. And here we have Funakoshi, often referred to as the father of modern karate, saying that that's a, a, a useless endeavour. So I think that's a, a useful one. Here's a, another one from uh, Anko Itosu, who's the founder of the, uh, well, the creator um, of the Pinan series, or the... Uh, called Hian in Shotokan. He's also one of Funakoshi's teachers. And uh, this is from his 10 precepts. It's a sixth precept, actually. And he said, Practice each of the techniques of karate repeatedly. Learn the explanations of every technique well and decide when and in what manner to apply them when needed. So that's my own personal translation. It's the one I commissioned. and you know, It's accurate, but maybe a little bit clumsy. But this is the bit I like here when he says... Learn the explanations of every technique well and decide when and in what manner to apply them when needed. So the way I interpret that is learn the explanations of every technique well. So learn what it does. Learn what every movement's for. It's not just enough that you can perform it. You've got to understand why you perform it. And they says, and then decide in what manner to apply them when needed. And I think this is significant because as part of our karate training, we'll obviously learn lots of techniques but it's ultimately up to us to decide how and when we'd use them. So when I think this statement comes into play for me is uh, certain body types suit certain techniques and not others. So you may be, um, let's say a, a certain throw suits someone who's uh, short and of above average strength. Well, everybody will learn the technique, but the people who are short and of above average strength might decide that, you know, I'll use it all the time. The people who are tall, thin and of below average strength might decide that they'd never use it. So I quite like that because there's room for individual expression. We all draw from the same knowledge pool, but we've got to decide ultimately how and when we'd use it. And I think that's a, a nice quote from um, uh, Itosu. So the first two we've had obviously from Funakoshi, then his teacher. So let's have one from uh, uh, Igami, who was a student of Funakoshi's. And he said, the techniques should not be practiced simply so they can be formed in the kata. Since karate is a fighting art, each technique and movement has its own meaning. The karateka must consider their meaning, how and why they are effective, and practice accordingly. So we can see him kind of echoing his teacher here. He says, you know, we mustn't practice things just so we can perform them in the kata. 
Um, it's karate is a fighting art. We need to look at the movements and work out how and why they're effective and uh, practice them as, as we should. So again, we can see this, you know, from the, the past generation. Kata was never practiced for its own sake. It was always so it could be used in an emergency or, you know, um, as Dagami says, you know, it's a fighting art and each movement has its meaning. So we should study that meaning. Um, because, again, to go back to Funakoshi's quote, it's useless if we don't, and yet that's a lot of what we see. So here's a favourite quote of mine. This is from uh, Kenwa Mabuni, founder of Shitoru, and it, he wrote this in 1938 in one of his books. He said, um, The karate that has been introduced to Tokyo is actually just a part of the whole. The fact that those who have learnt karate feel that it only consists of kicks and punches and that throws and locks are only to be found in judo or jiu-jitsu can only be put down to a lack of understanding. He then goes on, he goes um, a little later, he says, Those who are thinking of the future of karate should have an open mind and strive to study the complete art. So that was in 1938, so 2012 now, so that's 74 years ago. So 74 years ago, one of the key players in what became modern karate is saying, I'm concerned that people are starting to think karate is just kicks and punches. We have throws and we have locks in it, and I'm getting worried that people don't understand this. And this is a great line. 74 years ago, those who are thinking of the future of karate should have an open mind and strive to study the complete art. And, and again, I know I'm obviously talking to it. If you listen to this podcast, you probably agree with me completely. But we'll know that the vast majority of karateka um, out there are slow. Again, they are slowly coming round, but the most still think that karate does just consist of kicks and punches and that throws and locks can only be found in judo or jiu-jitsu. Well, according to Mabuni, this is because they don't understand their art they're practicing. And he encourages so an open mind and strive to study the complete art. And I think that's true. If karate is to have a future, we need to study the complete art. We need to get back to the, Mabu the karate that Mabuni was encouraging us to get back to 74 four years ago. Where that quote's also useful is it points out that, you know, throwing and locking were always part of karate. You know, 74 years ago we were saying it was there. So although, you know, there's no doubt that the arrival of things, you know, the reality-based kind of revolution, if you want to call it that, and um, MMA competitions and things have got people re-looking at the, the efficiency of grappling. Uh, so there are some that would feel that when we karate can do that, it's just, you know, revisionist, you know, we're trying to make karate into something it never was but the fact is that's what it was it was a complete system and it's it's moved away from that so we're not moving karate well i guess we are we're moving karate forwards by moving it back um so the next quote kind of ties in with that one really as well this is another one from gichin funakoshi and this is found in karate do Han. he said in karate hitting thrusting and kicking are not the only methods throwing techniques and pressure against joints are included and again, a little later, it's like, he likes all these techniques should be studied referring to basic kata. So here we have again, you know, um, uh, kicking and thrusting are not the only methods. Throwing techniques and pressure against joints, so joint locks, are included. So again, you know, we've got that uh, quote there, you know, throwing and locking should be part of our practice. Uh, the next one is another one from Ankui Tosu, which I feel is the most important sentence in the history of karate. And uh, it's from uh, Tosu's Ten Precepts, uh, again, it's from the first precept, actually. Um, second line of the first, uh, first precept. And it's this, he said, Karate is not intended to be used against a single adversary. It is a method of using the hands and feet to avoid injury should one, by chance, be confronted by a villain or a ruffian. I'll tell you why that's so important, because it defines the context. It tells you what the karate of Tosu's time, the karate of the kata, is. 
and all the old masters got context and obviously in the last po- podcast we discussed it because my view most people don't context is still something that's not widely understood and i know that from the feedback i got from the last podcast as well you know so but i think i've said all i can say on that people either you know get it or they won't but anyway he said karate is not intended to be used against a single adversary what he's saying there is it's not for a one-on-one fight it's not for a, um, an agreed confrontation such as you'd have on a you know a mat or in a ring or whatever he said it's a method of using the hands and feet to avoid injury so not necessarily win just avoid injury should one by chance be confronted by a villain or ruffian what he's saying there is the karate of all is for civilian self-defense it's not for a, a, a one-on-one fight. It's not for a, um, a square goal. See, this is another one where translations are really important because that translation was done by me, for me rather, for by a, a language expert who was not a martial artist. Um, and they struggled. They struggled to find someone because it wasn't plain Japanese that Itosu wrote this in. They told me it was obscure dialect is the word that they used. But anyway, they eventually got it done for me. But you... The karate is not intended to be used against a single adversary. I've heard that translated as karate must never be used against one opponent. <laughs> now, you think about that, that's ridiculous. You know, you're about to be attacked and you say, look, I would defend myself, but can you, you know, I need your friends to turn up before I can do anything. It, it, it's crazy. So even like bad translations can give radically different interpretations. But this is the point. It's also saying the methods of the cat are not for a square goal. We won't see fainting. We won't see moving back and forth. We won't see trying to provoke a trained response. We will see the kind of motions that we we should see in um, uh, self-defense. So that's why I think it's really important that. Because with that sentence in mind, we can look at kata in that way, the old style karate, and it starts to make sense. And it also wasn't alone in saying this either. So our next quotation I want to put, uh, and it's, uh, it's from Motobu. And it says, the techniques of the kata have their limits and were never intended to be used against an opponent in an arena or on a battlefield. It goes on as well. It says, they are, however, most effective against someone who has no idea of the defensive strategy being used against them. But it's a first line. It goes, the techniques of the kata have their limits and were never intended to be used against an opponent in an arena or on a battlefield. Um, so he's saying, you know, this is it's not for... Um, battlefield it's not a martial art it's not a war art in an arena it's not a sporting system either you know what i mean it's it's not for a, a consensual one-on-one battle it, it, it it's um again you know people who don't understand the defensive strategy he said you know uh, that's been used against them so he's mirroring what um, itosu said and i know loads of people get really upset by that statement oh what are you saying that in a real fight i couldn't defend myself against a boxer that's not what he's saying he's saying karate wasn't designed to go into a ring and s- square off against a boxer and, and we know it wasn't because you don't see the same kind of footwork you see in boxing you don't see in the same guards the draws the fainting all that really cool stuff that's probably part of your practice anyway modern practice but we don't see it in kata it's not there because it was never intended for that we do however see motions and movements that work very well in civilian altercations and as discussed before you know if if a someone who does have training in a martial art if they try and uh, approach a civilian self-defense situation self-protection situation like they would face a one-on-one bout with a practitioner of their own kind they will have they will have trouble the environment changes and that's the key point it's not really who your enemy is it's the environment they're fighting in it's that context thing again so here we have Motobu saying the techniques of the kata never intended to be used against an opponent in an arena or on a battlefield. They are over most effective against someone who does not use the defense, understand the defensive strategy that's been used against them. It's for civilian self-defense. 
not for fighting one of your own kind, either in a cage or on a battlefield. And I think that's a it's it's a good statement that one. It's a very positive one. Shouldn't be viewed as a negative one. The techniques of the kata have their limits. Of course, they have their limits. In the same way, the techniques you would use in an MMA bout, they have their limits. And Thai boxing techniques have their limits. And um, uh, any technique you can think of has its limits. It's, it's they're designed for specific circumstances, for specific contexts. And when you move them outside that context, you'll have problems. As, don't want to talk about this too much because that was what we talked about last month but if you were um i put on my website someone sent me a, a bit of footage where it shows some of the u.s um uh, ufc fighters uh, training with the marines the u.s marines and when they uh, do one of the combat games of the the, the the marines the ufc guys do very badly um, the reason they do very badly is because weapons are involved it's on uneven dirt and it's group tactics rather than one-on-one -on -one tactics. That's not to knock the UFC guys, because you, you stick any of those Marines in a cage with them, there's no doubt the UFC guys will come out top. Absolutely no doubt. And the you know, tough, fit guys, it's because the context has changed. They're no longer playing their game. And, and that's the point with this. You know, The techniques that the Marine ha Marines have are designed for group warfare. Right? and therefore work very well in that context. So every martial arts method you can think of has its limits. So Mortenbu's not slagging Cutter off when he says that. He's just, it's a statement of fact. So the techniques of the Cutter have their limits and were never intended to be used against opponent in an arena or on a battlefield. They are, however, most effective against uh, uh, someone who has no idea of the defensive strategy being used against them. Okay, next quotation. This is another favourite from, uh, from Mabuni. Um, he said, uh, the meaning of the directions in kata is not well understood, and frequently mistakes are made in the interpretation of kata movements. In extreme cases, it is sometimes heard that this kata moves in eight directions, so it is designed for fighting eight opponents, or some other such nonsense. <laughs> well, I love that, because that's Mabuni uh, effectively telling us that 99% of the bunkai that you'll see is incorrect, that it's nonsense and it's not well understood, when the one guy stands in the middle with the eight people attacking along the compass point. Uh, later on he goes on to explain that the angle represents the angle that you take in relation to the opponent. Uh, but these ideas, you know, if you look at, um, you know, typical Katamu oceans, or let's take, um, let's think of one, Hian uh, Nidan or Pinan Shodan. So you've got the first move goes left. So people say it's an attack from the left. It's just not. It means that you move to the left on your opponent. And here we have, you know, Mabuni writing about this in the 1930s, saying people don't understand the angles and directions. And earlier on, we heard him say people don't understand that throwing and locking aren't there. So the, the stuff that we, um, as pragmatic karateka, are trying to promote, they, they were saying that they had the same problems 70 plus years ago. You know, and the, the the founders of modern karate wouldn't would be saying similar things to what we're saying when we say that people who are interpreting kata and karate aren't quite getting it right. Uh, this is another one from uh, Funakoshi. I, I like this one. I think it's very important, and it shows that Funakoshi understands self-defense. Right? He said the uh, the secret principle of martial arts is not vanquishing the attacker, but resolving to avoid an encounter before its occurrence. To, to become an object of an attack is an indication that there was an opening in one's guard, and the important thing is to be on guard at all times. So, I mean, that's it. You know, we, we've talked about this when we did the Marshall Map uh, audiobook thing a, a little while ago. Is, um, people do believe that self-defense equals fighting equals martial arts, and it's not right. You know, with, with self-defense, um, the, the key thing that we want to be trying to do is make sure that we avoid the situation in the first place, and here we have Funakoshi saying exactly that. 
you know that that's that's what we should be doing we we avoid it and we should make sure that we have awareness goes back to Cooper's colour codes you know we never want to be in 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 um, in a state of white you know we want to be aware of our surroundings the trouble with this of course is you know you can't just say be aware and that's it awareness training is something that you need to do and when you're saying aware aware of what what are you looking out for so it's not enough when martial arts instructors just go oh yeah be aware awareness is important there's a whole field of studying around that you know and but here we have Funakoshi stressing its importance and Utsuka, the founder of, of Wado, expressed a similar sentiment. So here's one from his Wadaru Karate book. Um, he said, there is an old saying, leave one's yard and find seven enemies. And he goes on, he says, no matter how skilled one is in the martial arts, he will find himself unprepared if encountered off guard. So this is me interjecting, but, you know, in... in called white in state white yeah anyway back to utsker he says ideally then one should constantly be in a state of preparedness preparation of one's mind is necessary at all times not to the extent of paranoia but as a course of habit now i love that last bit not to the extent of paranoia but as a course of habit so if you are taking precautions which are not sufficient to meet the risk that's unhealthy because you're leaving yourself vulnerable to attack However, if you are taking uh, precautions that are way in excess of the risk, that's not healthy because it indicates like a kind of paranoia or a fear. So the kind of person who lives in a nice affluent area but doesn't leave the house, you know, uh, after the hours of darkness, always wears a stab vest, is always kind of armed to the teeth and is expecting everyone he talks to to suddenly attack him, that's problematic. That That is paranoia. And sometimes, you know, the fear of crime can be more harmful to an individual than crime itself. Um, depending on where you live, you know, the vast majority, I would say, living at this, probably the chances of becoming a victim of crime are remote. Violent crime are pretty remote. Um, so, therefore, if you're worrying about it unduly, excessively, that can be unhealthy in, it, uh, um, in, in itself. So I agree with Utsuka when he says we have to be careful uh, not, to be, uh, not to be paranoid. Okay, so, over the page. <laughs> Uh, okay, these are the ones relating to... Uh, this is one of Mabuni's. I like this one, because one often quoted line is, there is no first attack in karate. But again, that's another one that is widely misunderstood. So I'm going to read this to you from uh, Mabuni. He said, uh, When faced with someone who disrupts the peace, or who will do one harm, one is as a warrior in battle, and so it only stands to reason that one should seize the initiative and preempt the enemy's use of violence. Such, such action in no way goes against the precept of no first attacking karate. The expression, karate ni sentanashi, so no first attacking karate, should be properly understood to mean that the karate ker should never take a hostile attitude or be the cause of a violent incident. He or she should always have the virtues of calmness, prudence and humility where, when in dealing with others. So again, I like this one. So what he's saying is, you know, karate ni sentanashi is a moral instruction. It's telling us that we should never be the cause of the violence. We should never be the architect of the violence. But when that violence occurs, to quote Mabuni again, um, it only stands to reason that one should seize the initiative and preempt the enemy's use of violence. So it's telling us, you know, when we, we're sure that violence can't be avoided, then we hit first. And this is what Mabuni said. And again, not alone in saying this. So let's listen to what Motobu had to say on that. Uh, because there's a saying, no first attacking karate. To be sure, it is not the proper Buddha spirit to train for the purpose of striking others without good reason. I assume that you already understand that in karate one's primary goal must be the training of mind and body. But when a situation can't be avoided and the enemy is intent on doing you serious harm, you must fight ferociously. 
when one does fight, taking control of the enemy is vital, and one must take that control with the very first move. Therefore, in a fight, one must attack first. It is very important to remember this. So again, we have Motobu there again reminding us that it's a moral instruction. It's an instruction about behaviour. It's not an instruction about combative tactic. And he's saying, you know, we do everything we can to avoid it, but when we can't avoid it, you know, we've, we should be the one to making sure that we, uh, we, um, we're the one who goes home safe. So we must uh, attack first, according to Motobu. And again, you know, Funakoshi also said something very similar. Uh, this one's from uh, Karate Do um, Kyohan. And this, here, Funakoshi goes a little bit further because he talks about um, the tactics to be used when delivering a preemptive strike. So I think it's very interesting. So he said, When there are no avenues of escape, or one is caught even before any attempt to escape can be made, then for the first time the use of self-defence techniques should be considered. Even at times like these, do not show any intention of attacking, but first let the attacker become careless. At that time, attack him, concentrating one's whole strength in a blow to a vital point, and in the moment of surprise, escape and seek shelter and help. So what's interesting about that one, he says, even in times like these, do not show any intention of attacking, but first let the attacker become careless. Which is exactly, you know, how I and many others, you know, teach this is when you are about to preempt, you lull the uh, the enemy into a false sense of security in order to make sure that your blow lands and also to increase the shock and therefore the chances of you escaping. So we use, you know, phrases like, why can't we talk about this? So the, the enemy thinks, okay, this is someone who's trying to plead the way out. He listens to the question, his brain gets engaged and on the kind of end of the why can't we talk about this, bang, the big slap comes in and then we run. So again, we're not like preempting to win the fight, if you like. We're not hitting to kind of carry on hitting. We're hitting is to facilitate escape. So, and you know, as a Funakoshi says that as well. This is attack him, concentrating one's whole strength in a blow to a vital point in the moment of surprise, escape and seek shelter and help. So that's perfect. You know, I, I would agree. Tactically, that's exactly it. You know, show no tension of attacking, then attack him, and as soon as the you know stunned and confused, there, get the hell out of there, get out as quick as you possibly can. So there we have Mabuni, Motobu and Funakoshi all saying that this idea of no first attacking karate means we don't throw the first punch is just incorrect. Because again, you'll notice that Funakoshi says, do not show any attention of attacking him, but first let the attacker become careless. At that time, attack him. He doesn't say, at that time, wait for the attacker to throw their blow and then counter. So, okay. So next one. Another one of Funakoshi's, which uh, you know I like. And there's a lot from Funakoshi because he, he wrote a lot. You know, that's, that's the point. So there's lots to... Um, to quote, so he said, um, train with both heart and soul without worrying about theory. Very often a person who lacks the quality of deadly seriousness will take refuge in theory. So I kind of like that, you know, it's a reminder, not that, you know, we just need to understand principles and concepts and the theory of why we do things is important, but when we're training, he says, train with heart and soul without worrying about theory. So it's to remember this isn't an intellectual pursuit, it needs to be physical, we need to train hard, train with heart and soul. Um, train hard, train with a quality of deadly seriousness. And then Funakoshi goes, very very often the person who lacks that will take refuge in theory. So we see this a lot. People who talk about all kinds of obscure things for long as an alternative to training, you know, they'd rather kind of talk about the intricacies of it than actually do it, you know. So we, we, uh, we shouldn't, the karateka should be in good shape. We should be training hard and we should be training regularly. And sure, yeah, let's explore the kind of the inner workings of the art we do, but that's best explored on the dojo floor. You know, anything we do off that, like listening to podcasts or, um, uh, you know, internet forums and all that kind of stuff, that can supplement it, but it's not an alternative to it. 
and again this Funakoshi warns we shouldn't be kind of taking refuge in that theory you know talking about it and listening podcasts reading books all very well and good all add to your knowledge but the fact of the matter is it doesn't get you away from the need to as Funakoshi puts it train with heart and soul you know need to practice uh, next one from Funakoshi this is one of his uh, 20 precepts where he says uh, beginners use stances advanced students use natural postures now that's an interesting one because you can read that a couple of ways so you could say well so beginners use stances but the advanced students don't and he, then you ask well what was the point of learning stances then now uh, Nakasone in Karate Do Tai Kan he wrote some explanations of each of Funakoshi's 20 precepts he expanded on them and then he went to Funakoshi and said you know do you endorse these and Funakoshi did so you can't when people say oh he means uh, yeah you know beginners use stances but advanced students don't that's not tenable because it's not in keeping with the explanation that Funakoshi himself endorsed so Nakasone um, and if you need more, more details of this you can check out the My Stance on Stances podcast but Nakasone has this beautiful line which is another one of my favourite quotes where he says uh, karate has many stances it also has none so what they're saying there is to learn to move body weight properly the beginners need postures to move into so to learn to move the weight forwards and down try Zen Kutsudachi to learn to drop the weight straight down we'll try Kibidachi you know what I mean there's various stances that give you an idea of shifting body weight because I've said before if you ask a beginner to lift their arm or turn the body they can do all of that if you say shift your body weight forward shift your body weight back you know they don't know what that is because body weight's a feeling it's it's something you, you you know you feel what it does so um that's what i think it means by this idea of uh, um beginners will use the stances to learn to shift weight and the advanced students won't think of stances they'll just move naturally so they become natural postures which again ties in with what nakasone said about karate has many stances but it also has none um here's another one which um again from funakoshi which is his 18th precept he said, Katna must always be formed exactly. Combat is another matter. Uh, now, this is another one that can be interpreted different ways. So some people have taken that to say, oh, yeah, well, Katna's one thing, but combat's something else. Um, but again, that's not really tenable when you look at the in, uh, the expansion, if you like, of that concept that Nakasone gave that, again, Funakoshi endorsed. Um, and there's a wonderful line in that expansion of it where he said, We must never be shackled by the rituals of Kata, but instead move freely according to our opponent's strengths and weaknesses. Love that. We must never be shackled by the rituals of Kata, but instead move freely according to our opponent's strengths and weaknesses. So what he's telling us there is when we perform um, our Kata, it must be exact. You know, it must be exact, must be precise. We want high levels of muscle control. We want to know... I always said in semi-jest, but it's true. If I can't control me, how do I expect to control my opponent? You know what I mean? I need to be able to control me. I need high levels of muscle control. And once I've got that, if I can control me, I stand a chance of being able to control my enemy. So we always perform the cutting exactly, but combat's another matter. Because combat's very, very variable. So we need to be able to vary and adapt the movements. All the old masters talked about this to some degree. Um, and again, Nakasone expanded on this, saying we should never be shackled by the rituals of kata, but instead move freely according to our opponent's strengths and weaknesses. So that's the idea we can adapt the movements on the go because we understand the underlying concepts. These next two are some that I kind of disagree with, but well, I think they're interesting quotations uh, because they show you that the masters weren't all enlightened semi-deified beings that they're often presented at so this is one of Kayan's okay and he said to be a true martial artist training karate is not enough 
one must also associate with prostitutes and get involved in drinking competitions. So that's kind of one of our one of our masters, you know. To be a true martial artist, training karate is not enough. One must also associate with prostitutes and get involved in drinking competitions. <laughs> I mean, so that tells you, you know, that we have this bad habit of kind of presenting the masters as almost kind of like semi-divine. Um, they always presented like the kind of the master on the old 1970s kung fu TV series, but they weren't like that. You know, we have to remember that. Like all of us, they have the faults and weaknesses and some pretty strange ideas too um, quite a few of them seem to have like a drink and like the women and we have to remember that when we're looking at them and I think as well it's like anything else the true story is always more interesting than the myth so you know looking at the old masters warts and all if you like I think he's, he's very interesting and Motobu had a similar line he said it's important for the karateka to drink heavily and to engage in other fun activities otherwise their karate will lack character <laughs> Well, you know, I don't agree with him there, you know, but um, there's still two very interesting statements that are revealing about about it, you know. We can't sanitise the history of karate and in the can't sanitise violence either. So, again, sometimes why I think these things are very useful because it reminds us of the kind of guys that we were dealing with, you know. Anyway, this is, the, this is I've put these ones in as well. There's just a few from more modern uh, martial artists, but anyway, this is one from Henry Plea. And if you don't know who Henry Plea was, he was a is uh, a French Frenchman. Uh, was one of the first Shotokan black belts in Europe. Uh, I believe there's a story that when he, he was a judo black belt, then went on to learn karate, and then apparently they thought he'd made it up, so they called it Karate Plea at one point. You know, it was sort of said in, in jest. But this is from the 1960s. This is a line from his book, and he said, uh, "One must not lose sight of the fact that karate is all in fighting. Everything is allowed." This is why karate is based on blows delivered with the hand, the foot, the head or the knee. Equally permissible are strangulations, throwing techniques and locks. And it goes on, this is one of the fascinating things about karate. The sensation of mastery over effective techniques brings an inner peace and calm. So the reason I've included that one is we must never lose sight of the fact that karate is all in fighting. This is the 1960s, this isn't that long ago. You know, we're talking like, like, like 50 odd years ago, you know, there'll be people training now that we're training then you know um he says uh, everything is allowed uh, equally permissible are strangulations throwing techniques and locks blows with the head elbows and knees i mean again i said this i mean how permissible would the average headbutt be in most dojos how permissible would the average throw be so sometimes you know mabuni was saying you know back in the 1930s well, i'm worried about losing all of this you know but there were some that were still practicing karate is a very holistic martial art not that long ago um, so this is another line, like, this is one of Don Dragas, you know, so again, another very quotable guy, but he says, uh, Kata as a demonstration is, bu is but a shallow and limited use of Kata. So I like that. Kata as a demonstration is, is but a shallow and limited use of Kata. And, you know, most Kata nowadays, it's demonstrations, whether it's demonstration for competition purposes or it's demonstrations in order to get a grade, in order to get a belt. You just demonstrate it. But again, Drager quite rightly says that's a shallow and limited use of Kata. So, you know, kind of like that one uh, this is one of Ed Parker's I love this one as well so this is because people talk about you know purity of style and purity of style sometimes in my view gets in the way of effectiveness so you can show people something that you know an effective way of doing something they'll go yeah I agree that's completely utterly effective but it's not what my style does so I'll do what my style does so what they're saying is I will be less effective I will choose to be less effective now if they're trying to preserve something 
for the sake of it, well, that's fair enough, but then don't make claims of combative efficiency. And the fact is, as well, none of the styles we have are pure. They're all hybrids. They're all kind of splinters. Because how do those styles come into being if we didn't have those? We'd have one style of martial art, and that would be it. But as, as we've gone, you know, we've got umpteen, any amount of styles of karate, because they've kind of morphed and moved, and that's kind of how it should be. So this is a great quote from Ed Parker about this. He goes, There are no pure styles of karate. Purity only comes when pure knuckles meet pure flesh. So it says, there are no pure styles of karate. Purity only comes when pure knuckles meet pure flesh. And I like that one because it just reminds us, yeah, efficiency, combative efficiency is what we should be aiming for. And there's another one I like as well, which is um, uh, Funakoshi, uh, talking about styles. And it, it is interesting as well because he said, says, there is no place in contemporary karate though for different schools. So as far as fun is con concerned, you know, it's all karate. You know, this idea of... Um, purity of style was something that he wouldn't recognise and I like this next bit, he goes Indeed, I've heard myself and my colleagues referred to as the Shotokan school but I strongly object to this attempt at classification. So again here we have Funakoshi saying, you know, don't call me Shotokan you know what I mean as for those who know, Shoto is obviously Funakoshi's pen name, it means pine waves apparently Funakoshi wrote a poem and watching the, the uh, wind go through the forest and it made waves on the, the trees, so pine waves and then obviously can means place so when he opened his first dojo it was called Shotokan, you know pine waves place um, but he didn't like that he didn't like this this kind of l l names and limitations um, and again um, Mabuni said you know there are no styles of karate only varying interpretations of its principles so for me this is important because this idea of style purity is, is not one the old masters would have would have recognized so, I mean, there's loads and loads of different quotations. We could go on and on and on, but these are just some that I thought, you you, you know, you might find interesting. Uh, provide food for thought. This is a personal favourite of mine. This is, it's uh, the only one that's in bold on the back of my club's grading syllabus. I've got a lot of quotations on the back there to kind of, you know, explain why we do what we do. But this is one that's the only one that's in bold. It's right at the top as well. So this is, this is, because this is karate dough to me. This is what dough is. Doe is often viewed nowadays as being like an alternative to uh, realistic jitsu style training. You know, the guys that do Doe are fakers, is how it's often presented. I, I don't see it that way. I think Doe is a good thing. Um, it's a positive thing, but it's based upon conflict. It's based upon combat. The jitsu becomes the Doe. They're not two separate things. You can't say, well, I'll do away with the jitsu and I'll just have the Doe. And if you're just doing the fighting to me, just the combative methods, to me you're missing out on what a, the whole host of things that karate could give you. And I think Funakoshi captures this brilliantly. He said, uh, One whose spirit and mental strength have been strengthened by sparring with a never-say-die attitude should find no challenge too great to handle. One who has undergone long years of physical pain and mental agony to learn one punch, one kick, should be able to face any task, no matter how difficult, and carry it through to the end. A person like this can be said to have truly learnt karate. I mean, I just absolutely love that. Well, let's break it down a little. So, one whose spirit and strength have been uh, spirit and mental strength have been strengthened by sparring with a never say die attitude. So there he's telling us, you know, spar with a never say die attitude. You know, fight and fight hard. He said, should find no challenge too great to handle. Next line. It says, one who has undergone long years of physical pain and mental agony to learn one punch, one kick, should be able to face any task, no matter how difficult, and carry it through to the end. A 
A person like this can be said to have truly learnt karate. So again, you see this again, long years of physical pain and mental agony. So you dose tough. You know, do, do, um, you know the character development side of karate doesn't come about by uh, walking up and down the hall a few times with a gi on and then sitting cross-legged and counting your breaths. That that that's not not it. From a karate perspective, it's it's training in these this hard and this austere environment, so that we're able to kind of uh, better ourselves and be able to face the kind of difficulties in life that we face um, outside the dojo. Uh, I'll just talk about this dead briefly, but I think Kano, the founder of judo, captured that really well as well. He said there was three levels of judo. Lower level, middle level, and upper level. Lower level was judo as an effective fighting art. Middle level judo was bettering yourself through that hard, austere training as a fighting art, beginning physically and mentally stronger. And upper level judo was using those attributes to kind of help uh, others, help your kind of society, help your community. And so the old masters, you know, they kind of understood this that by making yourself mentally and physically stronger through this tough training, you were better able to live the life that you wanted to live, and you are also better able to help those around you as well. So anyway, that's all the kind of quotes I want to discuss uh, in this podcast. I hope you found those quite uh, interesting. The ones I often quote at uh, seminars and in, in books and articles, there's loads of others as well, but they're the ones I thought we'd kind of discuss. And as I say, they're very useful in just pointing out that what we often view as traditional isn't that traditional. Um, we see, you know, the old masters were quite clear we should be locking and we should be throwing, we should be practicing kata and understanding it, we should be practicing uh, preemption, you know what I mean? That it was uh, for self defense, awareness was the key skill. You know, these are things that as practical, pragmatic karateka and martial artists we probably take for granted. But we know there's plenty over there that, that don't do it. And I would suggest that this, um, the view of karate that you know the person listening to this podcast is likely to have is the more traditional. It's certainly the one that, based on these quotations, that the old masters would recognise the most. You know. So, uh, yeah, so I hope you've enjoyed that. And, um, okay, uh, hopefully, if you did, let me know. We'll maybe do another quotations one uh, sometimes in the future. Maybe do one on modern masters or something. For now, that concludes this section of the podcast. Well, that concludes this month's podcast. As usual, I hope you enjoyed it and found uh, one or two things in there of uh, of interest. Um, again, just keep an eye out for the Kindle books. They'll be coming pretty soon. If you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get to know about uh, about those or a follower on uh, Facebook or Twitter. And, um, you know, the WCA, again, thanks to everyone who's supporting that and spreading the word on that. It's great that we've finally got a worldwide organisation for martial artists who approach traditional arts and all arts in general really like that, that we do so um, thank you to everyone for spreading the word on that and um, of course as I mentioned at the start thanks to everyone for the support of me and my website and my books my DVDs uh, for the podcasts and everything else you know again occasionally I kind of step back and take a look at it all and it's uh, fantastic that you're all giving me the support that you, you are I really do appreciate it because it's, it's you that enables me to continue to produce this kind of stuff and I'm really glad that you're finding it uh, well I'm guessing by the figures you're finding it of value um, so yeah thank you thank you very much and I'll be back with uh, another podcast uh, next month so until next month stay lucky and I'll speak to you soon thanks now bye <laughs>